Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. I was in Big W the other day, and I was loving the fact that Christmas is all around us. You go in, there's decorations, there's trees. And as I'm going through the aisles, I'm looking at the Christmas decorations, the baubles, the the tea towels and the trees and all the lights and all the wonderful things that Christmas brings. And as I started going from aisle to aisle to aisle, I noticed a pattern. I noticed that there were three words that were really just everywhere. And those words, and you might be familiar with them if you've gone to any shop at Christmas, is joy, peace, and hope. And they're synonymous with Christmas. You know, joy, I can totally understand. You know, you you have family and friends. You're all gathering together around the giant table, maybe a little kiddies table. Um, but it's just a beautiful time together. You're opening presents. You're spending time together. You're catching up on, on your year. And it's just, it really is such a joyous time. And there's food involved. There's always joy when there's food, surely. Um, and the other one is peace. You know, peace again, I can I can see how that's synonymous with Christmas because, you know, you're having time off work or off school, you're enjoying the beautiful weather because we're in Australia. And um, it's a really peaceful time at Christmas unless you have certain relatives over, which not so peaceful, but generally it's a peaceful time. And then hope. And I started to think about it and I'm like, you know what, hope. Why is hope synonymous with Christmas? You know, we're talking about hope in this whole series and, you know, we always talk about it. Hope, it's Christmas, hope, hope. But why? Like in a 2020 secular Christmas, why is hope such a a big characteristic of how we see Christmas? You know, we, we might be hopeful for a present that we've been wanting and we might be hopeful for, you know, next year might be better than the previous year. And let's be honest, 2021 doesn't have a big uh, shoes to fill. Surely will be better than 2020. But I'm not sure that's really hope. That's just desiring something for the future. Like, I, I don't know. Is that hope? And um, I, I really wanted to answer this question is why is hope so synonymous with Christmas? And I believe we have to go back to the birth of Jesus and even earlier to understand why hope is so wrapped up and so intertwined in this Christmas story of Jesus' birth. So let's go back together. And um, I want to go back actually before the birth of Christ and look at a few versions of OT Hope. That's Old Testament. Uh, So the first one I want to share with you, there's only two I really want to look at. The first one I want to share with you is Temporary Hope. You see, hope looked different, uh, you know, before Jesus, because when people wanted their sins forgiven, they had one day of the year to get it right. It was called Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. And what would happen is the priest would get an animal and he would check to make sure that it was unblemished and it was suitable for a sacrifice. And then there would be a certain tradition, which we'll look at in a second, where he had to, to make sure he did everything perfectly to make sure that the sins of his people, of the Israelites, was actually dealt with. But the thing is, it was only temporary because the Day of Atonement happened every year. One day a year, they would have to rest and and have this sacrifice, and that would cover their sins for the year. And every year they had to do it because it wasn't everlasting. It didn't go forever. And we see um, God giving the instructions for this in Leviticus 16, 15 to 17. It says this, Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did the bull's blood. 
Through this process, he will purify the most holy place, and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. You see, that's what they had to do every year. And, you know, well, we see this temporary thing. We see this animal being slaughtered, but we see this, this, this most holy place, this, this community with God, this connection with God is such a, a, it's, I would hate to use the word volatile, but it's a really interesting space that if, if, you know, if you don't go to God the right way, you end up dead. You know, so relationship with God was, was quite distant, but also quite fractured and very, very, um, you know, religious in the way that people had to go about being in front of God. And then the sins of the people had to get dealt with once a year. It was so temporary. But you know what? I'm a very visual person. And I I, I, I look at the, the prophecies in the Old Testament. and I look at the, the stories that people have read through scriptures about this coming Messiah, this coming lamb that will be the sacrifice once and for all. And I have to imagine that not only was it passed down through the scriptures, but I have to imagine that grandfathers and fathers and mothers and daughters and sons and everybody was talking about the, the one day. When this happens and getting excited for that one day, you know, in 2013, um, I went to America for the first time. I've never been out of the country and I went to America and my two brothers had been in America before. And they were telling me about all the wonderful things that are going to happen in the future. Oh man, you're going to love New York City because you can do this. You can do that. You know, Central Park's amazing. We'll go to the Apple Store. We'll go to the Empire State Building. We'll go to Chicago. We'll go to, you know, we'll go drive down to Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. And, you know, I was hopeful for this amazing trip because these people were telling me about what the future was going to look like. And it looked awesome. And I couldn't wait. And I have to feel that the Israelites were in this space during, um, during this, this era because they had this temporary, uh, this temporary um, hope that they would have their sins dealt with. But now, I mean, you know what? They're talking about this hope that is everlasting. It's never going to end. And there is going to come a lamb who is going to deal with it once and for all. And hope was going to be everlasting. And they would say things like, he will be a lamb without blemish. He will be our sacrificial lamb. His blood will save us. He will make an atonement for our sins. His hands and his feet will be pierced. He will bear our penalty and he will provide salvation. You see, no longer would they have to sacrifice this animal, but there was going to become the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would die for them once and for all. And they wouldn't have to keep doing this all the time. Temporary was going to become everlasting. But I think there's another hope that we that we see, and that is failing hope. You see, there were three kind of governing authorities in the world in through the Old Testament and right up to the birth of Jesus and actually a little bit after. And they were the um, kings, the government and the church or the synagogue. 
you know, and kings were, were pretty flippant. You know, you would have a king who would decide this is how we're going to live our lives and this is the gods we're going to worship. And, you know, all it took was either for that king to die or for that king to be assassinated. And all of a sudden they had a new king who would have new ideals and would treat the people very differently. And I'll tell you what, you go through the Old Testament and you look, you can count the amount of good kings on one hand. They were more often than not bad kings, horrible kings who didn't want the best for the people, who didn't care about the people, who actually didn't care about God, but cared more about their own glory and their own desires. But then you've also got government who clashed with the kings very often, uh, but the government was based on whichever nation was in power at that time. And all it took was for a war to change that. And all of a sudden, the world looks very different. You see, it wasn't reliable. And then you've got the church, the synagogue. And as we get closer to the birth of Jesus, we see it becoming more corrupt, more about legalism, more about rules and orthodoxy than actual intimacy with God. And the thing is, is that they all operated with a different goal and ideas of how things should be run and who should be glorified. You see, it was, it was failing. The hope in, in men, the hope in people, the hope in kings and government and, and the leaders of the church at that time, man, I'll tell you what, it was a failing hope. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to, to imagine with me being in that space. Imagine you're in that that. that pre-birth of Jesus' time and, you know, the leaders that you look up to fail you over and over and over again. The church that's meant to look out for you is more concerned with its own advancement and its greed and its power. And kingdoms are rising and falling and kings are rising and falling and there doesn't really seem to be anything to hold on to going forward. And I want you to close your eyes right now and imagine you're in that space and that's your world. And I'm going to get Nathan to, to make the screen black right now. And you know what? Don't worry, your, your, your internet connection's not failing. The, I want you to, to really be part of this. You know, don't just watch and listen. Actually close your eyes and imagine yourself in that space. Just before the birth of Jesus, kings are letting you down. Government is letting you down. The synagogue leaders are letting you down. There is a temporary hope and you've got to make that sacrifice every year. And you just, you just want some stability. You want this everlasting hope that comes with the Messiah. But you remember the words that you've learnt from a child. You remember the words that have been passed down from generation to generation. The ones that you found in the scripture about the coming Christ and the hope that he brings. Those words include these. He will be the anointed one. He will be our king. He will be holy. He will be merciful. He will not be corrupt. He will be committed to God. He will govern the nations. He will be the good shepherd. He will preach righteousness. He will speak grace. He will be the gift giver. He will be higher than earthly kings. He will be faithful and good. He will pray for his enemies. He will be compassionate. He will send us the Spirit of God. He is an altogether lovely one. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. He is the wonderful one. He is the mighty God, a counselor, a father. He is the Prince of Peace. He will establish an everlasting kingdom. 
He is wise and understanding. He is truthful and a servant. He will bring hope for the hopeless. He will open blind eyes. He will be a just judge and a healer. He will have no deceit. He will sate the thirsty. The Spirit of God will be upon him. He will be humble and his dominion will be everlasting. You can open your eyes and imagine being in that space and hearing about this amazing king, this sacrificial lamb, this Messiah, the Christ that is to come amidst your temporary hope, amidst the failing hope. There is promise of a hope that will never end, a hope that is trustworthy, a God that is coming, a Messiah that wants the best for you, that is merciful and full of grace and compassion, of healing, of truth and trustworthy. That is why hope is synonymous with Christmas. You see, it wouldn't be a sermon from me if it was there wasn't a movie quote. And I think I've shared this one before, but it's you know like that scene from The Hobbit where Thorin Oakenshield defeats all these orcs and Balin is looking at him after this victory and thinking, there's one I could follow. You read these prophecies, you read these, these, these promises of things to come. And you know what? It's like I look around and I see my government failing me. I see my leaders failing me. I, the people I put my trust in fail me. And you know what? This hope is temporary and, and it's failing. But you know what? There is one who that, that, that's not him. One that we can follow. And he's coming. He's coming. Hold on. He is coming. And, you know, as people pass these, these promises down from generation to generation, these aren't just some, some cool list that people thought of. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if he was trustworthy? Man, wouldn't it be awesome if he was a prince of peace? Wouldn't it be awesome if he, you know, was a counselor and a mighty God? These aren't just random things they thought of. These are prophecies. These were, were, were declared that this person was coming and these are his characteristics. In the Old Testament, there are 300, actually over 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah. 300. And when I find out that there's 300 prophecies of a coming Messiah, my mind immediately goes to the question, how many people could fulfill that? How many people could meet all those prophecies and and those qualifications to be the Christ? And you may not have asked that question, but you should. Maybe what if it wasn't Jesus? What if someone came and they made all these prophecies and they kind of went under the radar a little bit less than Jesus? Like, not only does that mean Christmas and then Easter are, are moot, but also this whole faith is irrelevant. And I'm glad that someone thinks like me. It's, it's Peter Stoner. And he did a study. And he did a study of the 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. And he said, you know, what are the chances that someone else could fulfill these prophecies? So what he did is he took just eight, just eight of the 300 prophecies, and he decided to see what the chances that any one person could fulfill these eight prophecies. And these are the eight that he chose. The time of his birth, the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He would be mocked. He would be crucified. He would be pierced. And he would die with the wicked, but buried with the rich. And in his study, he, uh, he's a mathematician, by the way. He's a professor of mathematics. Um, he, he came to the conclusion that any one person to fulfill just these eight out of 300 is one in 10 to the 17th power. If that's not enough to impress you, that number looks like this. 
It's a pretty big number, but if you're still not impressed, let me give you some uh, perspective. The chances of having twins is one in 250. The chances of a shark attack are one in 16,000. The chances of being struck by lightning is one in 500,000. The chances of winning the Powerball is 1 in 292,201,338 and yet all those numbers pale in comparison to the chances of one person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty massive. But uh, Professor Stoner goes on a little bit further and he gives an example of what this might look like and an illustration. And he says, uh, grab a silver dollar. Now, we don't have silver dollars in Australia, but we have 50 cent coins, which are a similar size. Silver dollars may be a little bit larger, but a 50 cent coin. And he says, what you would do is write your name on that coin. And then what you do is you go on a plane and you fly to Texas. And when you get to Texas, you realize the whole state of Texas is filled with silver dollars, two feet deep, border to border. And then I want you to throw your coin <laughs> into the state of Texas, and then we'll get something to jumble it all up. And the chances of someone walking in blindfolded and picking up your coin, your signed coin in the state of Texas, two feet deep, is one in 10 to the 17th power. That is massive. And that is only eight of the 300 prophecies. But Professor Stoner goes even further and he says, you know what, let's double it. Let's see what it would take for someone to fulfill 16 of the prophecies. And he chose eight more. And the number he landed on was if someone was to, to fulfill 16 of the 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament, it would be one in 10 to the 45th power. And again, that number looks like this. Pretty massive number. And he again shares an illustration of what that might look like. And Professor Stoner grabs that silver dollar again, and for us a 50 cent piece. And he says, imagine if you had that many silver dollars or 50 cent pieces, which is one in 10 to the 45th power, and you were strong enough to, to grab those coins and just squeeze them into a ball. And you just keep adding more and squeezing them into a ball, a ball as the ball gets bigger and bigger. By the time you had got all those coins and squished them together and you put that ball directly in the middle of the sun, the edge of your silver dollar ball would reach, you ready? <laughs> Neptune. That is how massive this number is. And that is the chance of one person fulfilling 16 of these prophecies. So the question has to be raised then, what does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. Everything. You see, in Micah 5.2, it's one of the prophecies that, uh, that was in the study, and it's the one that you heard at the start of this sermon. Uh, it says this, it says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. 
this kingdom that was promised, the reconciliation that is that is offered, the justice that reigns, the mercy and grace that is yours and mine to share, the, the forgiveness from sin and the freedom from brokenness is realized here in Bethlehem, in an animal's wooden food box, in a tiny baby. You see, this is prophetic hope. This is prophecy fulfilled. This tiny baby carries the hope of all those people who are sick of temporary faith, uh, hope. They're sick of, of failing hope. They want someone they can follow. They want someone who is going to be trustworthy and merciful and peaceful and honorable and who will never let them down. You see, it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will never stop being Jesus. He was their hope. He's our hope. You know, I love what David Phelps says in one of his songs. He says, just a simple manger, yet somehow it was enough to accommodate the God of space and time. We can't reduce the importance of this moment. Yeah, Christmas is about friends and family and gathering together and celebrating what was and what's to come and, you know, being generous. And that's that's wonderful. I don't have anything against that. But I think that we also do a disservice to Christmas by saying, yeah, it's about this baby in a manger and awesome. This is hope, prophetic hope fulfilled. This changed the course of history. This changed your life my life it's been promised for thousands of years and here it is hope fulfilled in this tiny baby who would reconcile us to god you know our sins are forgiven but no longer does someone have to go into the most holy place and be be fearful that they might have to get dragged out because they've died we can have a relationship with this god he's not distant He's not asleep. He's not dead. He's alive and he wants to be part of our lives. And that can be realized through a tiny baby who went on to be our savior. That's why we celebrate hope at Christmas, because the birth of Jesus signifies the beginning of the journey of reconciliation with a just and trustworthy God. You see, we can live in the realization of prophecy fulfilled and declare that over our own lives. You know, maybe you're watching today and you feel like you, you've done too much. There's no way God can forgive me. Man, I look back at my past and I, I can count in numerous ways. And there's so many ways that I can't even remember. I've forgotten that I've, I've let God down, that I've walked away from him, that I've sinned, that I, I've, I've, I've made the world my friend. There's no way that God can look at me. And say, you're welcome. Well, let me declare that prophecy over you. He will be merciful. Perhaps you've been hurt by people. People in the name of Jesus. Maybe the church or leadership. Or people who call themselves Christians and they've hurt you over and over and over again. Let me promise you, according to that prophecy, he will not be corrupt. He's truthful. Do you feel like God's abandoned you? 
Maybe you're going through a difficult time and you feel alone and it's been a long time since you've connected with God and you've felt him talking to you and being close to you. Let me, let me speak that prophecy over you. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. Do you struggle to trust God? Maybe with your finances or your marriage, your job security, the, the health of your children, something else that, that you know you just, you just can't give it over to God. God, I can't let go of the reins because if I, if I let go of the reins, then, then I'm not sure you're going to take it. Let me speak this one over you. He is a mighty God. He can handle it better than you can. Maybe you're watching today and you're battling with depression or anxiety or mental illness. He's a mighty counselor. He's our counselor. Now, I'm not saying you can't go and see counselors. Absolutely. But, but in that space, let me promise you that God is close to you. He loves you. He feels your pain. And he wants to tell you that you're loved and that you can trust him. Maybe your health a life-changing diagnosis, a, a pandemic, which we're all familiar with, an ongoing injury or illness, well, he will be our healer. In this season, we've seen government decisions that we may or may not agree with, but one thing we can agree on is that it's been very divisive. Well, we know that he will be the good shepherd. He will bring us into alignment. He'll bring us together in unity, and that unity is purely under him. Maybe it's been a long time since you've had an encounter with God. Has it been a while since you felt totally embraced by God in that space where, you know, you just know God loves you and he's telling you about your future and, you know, those tears start flowing. Has it been a long time since you've been there with God? He will sate the thirsty. You see, his kingdom is just and his dominion will be everlasting. And you're invited to be part of that. There is no issue you're facing, no worry that is on your plate, no anxiety that is in your mind, no brokenness that is in your heart that is not answered by this amazing God. This is hope, and it's a prophetic hope. People have been talking about it for thousands of years. And in 2020, this Christmas, we have this awesome and privileged position to look back and go, but I know his name. His name is Jesus. He meets my needs. He's trustworthy. He loves me. He's forgiven me from my sin. And he's reconciled me to a loving father who wants the very, very best for me. It lasts forever. And it never fails. That is Christmas hope. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for all these promises that you've spoken through the generations of our saving grace, of your Son who would come and make a way for us. Lord, we know him to be Jesus. We know it could not be anybody else. We ask this Christmas, God, if we're struggling in any way, if there's anyone watching who, who has worries or concerns or anxieties or pain and brokenness and sickness, God, that it would be bound in your name and replaced with the promises of who you are and who they are. This Christmas, God, let us truly celebrate hope 
that is found in you. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope you have a hopeful Christmas. I know I will. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.
Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.